Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So welcome, everyone. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Grandmother's Day. Happy Auntie Day. For all of you who do mothering, happy Mother's Day. And some of us have our mothers close and some far and not here anymore. So Mother's Day can bring up all sorts of emotion and feeling. So happy Mother's Day. And uh, Trudy Goodman wrote something really beautiful. Uh, that I got in an email and I'll read a little bit to you on the subject of Mother's Day. And it's great to honor her and some of the other early Buddhist teachers who really worked so hard to mother a meditation community, a Buddhist community. Trudy, one of them, Ruth Dennison, another one in this area, Sharon Salzberg, happy Mother's Day, honoring them. She wrote, um, on this Mother's Day, may you and I celebrate the dedication and love of mothers in all forms. The love of mothers in all forms. I love that. The mothering energy. May all the moms who are facing hardship, struggling financially, incarcerated, detained, or serving on the front lines, find some rest, solace, and practical support. May each of us in our own way honor the life-giving power, courage, and spirit of mothers everywhere. It was very beautiful to me. So um, today, the topic of the talk is um, intimacy and the path of meditation. Moving a bit away from uh, Mother's Day subject. Um, and what I want to start with is, is something we all know very, very well, which is what keeps you off of the cushion is worthy of your attention, right? It's not so easy to have a meditation practice. All this week, I kept running into people and talking to people um, about um, their difficulty having a regular meditation practice, something that you do every day for a period of time. And certainly we have really tried, Casey and I and Don and David and several others to um, give our community a lot of group time to sit every day, early in the morning, late at night, right? We're all joining together to sit and you're invited to sit, but it's difficult. It's not easy. And I've heard that all week from people struggling to, um, to sit. And um, in Vipassana meditation, of course, we have this formal list. We have a list of all the things that make it hard to sit on the cushion and sit still and dedicate yourself to that time of meditating. And they're called the hindrances. And basically um, what, what we've learned 
from these early Vipassana teachers that the same things that troubled people thousands of years ago are still here today. Nothing has changed. And these same things affect everybody in the same way. So what I thought I'd do is um, list some of these things. So, so you can be relaxed about this and rest assured that thousands of people are in the same um, sorry state that we are when it comes to the hindrances, these things that keep us off the cushion and keep us out of a concentrated practice. We're with thousands and millions who, who experience it just this way. So I was hoping, Don, maybe you could put that in the chat, the list of hindrances as I go over them and, and say them. So one we call sloth and torpor, sleepiness, um, you know, falling asleep on the cushion, being tired, being drowsy, right? We all suffer with that. And I've heard that complaint that we all have to work through that sleepy falling asleep quality. And it isn't so bad to be sleepy on the cushion because it is a sign that the mind is relaxing and slowing down and thoughts are slowing down and concentration is arising up. Only the mind doesn't know, it's not used to a concentrated state. And it references to falling asleep. When you fall asleep, you let go of your thoughts and relax, and then you fall asleep. So the mind will sort of pull you into sleep out of habit. And then we learn to work against that. And there are things that we can do on the cushion to begin to observe the sleepiness on the tiredness and not fall into it, into sleep. So that's something that stops people is being tired. And sometimes we're tired and we just do need to sleep and then come back to meditation. The other um, is doubt. Oh God, this time, I have so many things to do. It's not worth it. Uh, let me just get on with my to-do list. Let me just get stuff done. I can't sit anyway. These thoughts are not gonna stop ever. Um, what's the use? I'm not a meditator. It's good for some people, not good for me. I give up. It's okay. I have other things that I like to do. I feel good when I'm playing tennis or swimming. That's close enough, right? So there's doubt for your effort. Why should I bother? And certainly that gets us uh, not to sit on the cushion. And then there's the bucket of, it's called aversion, ill will, anger, or hatred. And, and I did put this up on Facebook, so you can go on Facebook and look at that. Um, and I'll come back to that. It's just this negative state. Um, I don't like uh, my mind. I don't like my racing thoughts. My body aches. The room is cold. I'm hungry. I'd rather have more coffee. You know, it's aversion to the present state. Uh, and then on the other side of it, there's desire clinging and craving. Um, and I have that a lot. A lot of times when I meditate, I, my coffee is next to me. And um, I spend a lot of time in my meditation craving to sip the coffee and stop meditating. I can smell it. And then my hand wants to reach for the mug and <laughs> coffee meditation instead of meditation. You know. 
Um, there's restlessness, worry, and agitation. I'm just too agitated to sit. I've got ants in my pants and I want to dance, as we say. You know, we're just can't stop moving around. And uh, so, so these are, are the five. And Ajahn Tejaniya, um, a great contemporary teacher of our time, says, um, make friends with these hindrances or they'll keep hindering you. Get to know them. So um, when I have doubt, and I want to talk about that in the mornings, I very often like to read from meditation teachers and uh, just get the mind to settle down and get inspired to sit. So I keep a lot of books and quotations near me in, in meditation. This, that is one way that um, when my mind doubts, why should I spend the time doing this? Um, I do read a little bit to, to quiet that doubt. And it always comes up, you know, even after 30, 40 years, right? It's, it's always like, oh, I should skip it today. Oh, why not? You know, I don't feel like it. It's, that's always there. So this is from Thich Nhat Hanh, who is enlightened. According to the Buddha, everyone has the seed of enlightenment or Buddha nature. That seed of enlightenment is present not only in humans, but in animals, plants, and minerals. Man is made only of non-man elements. And since man has the capacity of awakening, non-man elements have the capacity as well. Awakening just needs the right conditions in order to reveal itself completely. Buddha nature is not an abstraction. It is the capacity to be mindful, concentrated, understanding, and compassionate. And if we have the time to come back to ourselves, to practice mindfulness, and to develop our concentration, we can touch the seed of enlightenment that is inherent in every one of us and help it grow. When I was a novice, I believed that it's very difficult to become a Buddha, that it takes many lifetimes. Enlightenment is not a matter of time. You cannot talk about enlightenment in terms of months or years because enlightenment can come in an instant. Practicing mindfulness of breathing and mindfulness of walking, we learn to let the Buddha breathe for us, to let the Buddha walk for us. If you practice like this, you learn to become the Buddha and the Buddha learns to become you. And it's very easy. In the beginning, you're a part-time Buddha and slowly you become a full-time Buddha. Sometimes you fall back and become a part-time Buddha again. But with steady practice, you become a full-time Buddha again. Buddhahood is there within our reach. You can become a Buddha whenever and wherever you like. It's really nice. Because we're human beings, the Buddha is always there. So a lot of us, this is the faith that we can even become a very part-time Buddha. We can become a contract worker Buddha or a gig economy Buddha. You know, we can really be a very part, part minor Buddha, you know, checking in. But we all have this Buddhahood and we need to remember that. So when the doubt creeps in about sitting, um, think of his words. But I want to go back a little bit 
to this cluster of aversion and restlessness and desire. They can be like a cluster, you know, a cluster bomb to not sit. And I want to like take a microscope and hone in a little closer to what's behind some of that cluster of resistance. And uh, go a little deeper, a little subtler into the resistance of sitting. And hopefully this will be a help today. Um, so we are truly social creatures, which is why I am so grateful for Zoom because I don't know how we would all be mentally and emotionally without Zoom during this pandemic. And um, we really do crave contact. We want to uh, be seen, we want to be known, we need touch and holding, um, we want to be understood, we want to communicate deeply, we need the eye contact. This we know is really good for the brain. You know, it's really, it's important, the social contact, uh, so important for our mental, emotional and social health. And certainly we're very concerned about kids who during this pandemic who are getting so much less uh, peer contact and we're worried about their development and uh, their social and emotional health. So this is critical for a human being to be healthy and well is to have good social contact. And of course, the Buddha talks about this too in the form of Kalyanamita, spiritual friends, that we need friends on the path. It's not something we do alone. And great teachers like Thich Nhat Hanh and Ashen Tejaniya, you know, they have monasteries and places where you do come together and sit. So this human mind, this brain needs the closeness, needs the intimacy, and there's a natural longing for it. Um, and even good social relationships have been connected to longevity. They've discovered that one of the keys to old age is maintaining good social contact. So, um, so it's only natural that we crave this social intimacy that we want intimacy and we want closeness. And I know the 7 p.m. sits, particularly we really enjoy that time after sitting and after hearing meditation where we could just listen and share about what's coming up and mindfully and share the contact with each other uh, during these times where we're more isolated due to the pandemic. And this could have been for many of us a very lonely year, uh, a very difficult year. And loneliness is a real problem. And, you know, we even in our culture, we glorify relationships as we should. And we glorify intimacy. We're raised um, where, where we're taught that we can look for our soulmate and we can find that one. Um, I think in Hebrew, it's beshert you know, that one that was just for us um, in a kindred spirit. And if we search hard enough and look hard enough and there's fate and, you know, 
even some of us, if God is in the way, we'll be guided to that perfect soul mate that will understand us completely and meet every need. And we'll, we, even if we fight, you know, that fight will lead to something great and we'll be happy forever. You know, um, the movies and films and the society has really fed this fantasy. Um, and so we feel very often incomplete when we haven't thought that we found our soulmate. We haven't found that kindred soul who gets us. We just crave people getting us. We want to be gotten. We want to be known deeply. And I think we should be. I think this is all uh, a healthy, wonderful part of human development. But do you notice sometimes that uh, you can be in a relationship? a long-term relationship, a marriage. Uh, you could be with very close friends and still feel alone and lonely. You could be at a huge party filled with people who know you, a big family gathering, and still feel alone and lonely. You could be in a room uh, or a building filled with people uh, in a workplace or a university or something like this and feel lonely. So feeling alone and lonely is not only met by your social relationships. There's something inside that's alone and lonely and that is not dependent on the people around you. And so very often we fill our mind up that we avoid, we're aversive to feeling lonely and alone. So if you pause and just take a moment or two, don't stay too long because <laughs> you'll all leave Zoom, right? I'll depress you enough, right? But think of a time where you felt alone and lonely and what that felt like in your body, in your emotions, in your thoughts. Go back to a time, maybe it was a, as a kid, you were starting a new school or you were at a party and no one talked to you. I, I have distinct memory and yeah, take a moment what that felt like in your body, in your mind, in your emotion. I have distinct memory of walking around Manhattan in New York with hordes of people everywhere, subways filled and streets filled and feeling very lonely. This is a feeling we like to reject, push away and avoid. So a lot of us will fill the mind to avoid loneliness and the feeling of aloneness. We have pets. One of my favorite ones, right? We have nature, thank goodness, hobbies, books, uh, art, painting, landscape, gardening, you know, writing. These are all objects we use to avoid emptiness, aloneness, and loneliness. And these too are good things. They're healthy things and healthy outlets. 
Uh, some of us, we don't like feeling alone and lonely. So podcasts are on and media, social media. We're on social media all the time. Um, or there's music going on. Or we're texting constantly. All of this is a rejection, a pushing away, and an avoidance of a certain state of mind and emotion that we don't like. The problem is that in order to meditate, what happens? What do you, what do, you do when you meditate? You have to be alone. You have to be alone. You close your eyes and sit in a room and you're alone. Even if you're on a retreat, you might be in a room with a bunch of people, but you don't make eye contact and you walk around or you sit and you're doing walking meditation, sitting meditation, and you can't talk to anybody. And if you go on a retreat, which is a wonderful thing to do, I highly recommend retreats, particularly 10-day retreats, or if you can go longer, you're not going to talk to anyone for 10 days. No eye contact, no smiling. You're supposed to put away your phone. And so uh, this fear of aloneness and the association with loneliness creates aversion in us. And I think that's one thing we don't pause to look at enough what stops us. Anthony has told me, yeah, I just sit in my apartment all day and I'll, I'll sit and meditate for days. I'll go on retreat by myself in my apartment. You know, he can tolerate his aloneness. Right. He's not lonely. Right. A lot of us. And I could say this is true. I don't do as well with home retreats. I have to really be part of a group, a Zoom group or something, because if I do it alone, it's like there's a part of me that wants to call someone. <laughs> you know? I want to phone someone. I want to phone someone and say, hey, I'm on a retreat. <laughs> I'm sitting right remember me you know that fear of not being remembered or falling away from the flock or your friends or the group whatever it comes up for you very often when we sit alone there's fear anxiety dread worry you know it's natural to feel like your group is going to leave you behind if you're not with the pack you know i'm out of the pack right um, and very often there's that even deeper feeling we go back to a bad memory of being outside of a group or feeling lonely or alone. Um, painful memories of aloneness. I can remember one where I had a parent who was ill in a hospital, you know, and I felt so alone as a child, right? Those feelings can surface. Mindfulness is not about pushing away and suppressing these emotions, even though very many people interpret Vipassana practice as that way. It's really becoming intimate with what's here inside of us. 
with knowing what's really here. That intimacy is not just relational with other people outside of us and um, healthy intimacy, wonderful, nurturing, beautiful intimacy is not just obtainable outside, it's also obtainable inside. An example of this uh, would be as a younger person living in New York, I would walk around the city uh, feeling alone and lonely in the herds of people all around me a lot of the time. I remember I had this old gray winter coat that I would wear and it would really reflect my mood of separateness, aloneness, sad, you know, I'm just alone. Um, and I would, I was really busy going to school and work and commuting a lot. And so I would take these um, so-called mental health days off and not go to school and work. And one day I took the train to the old world's fairgrounds. And for those of younger folk, um, there used to be World Fair in the 60s, I think was the last one where um, countries would come from all over the, the globe and put up pavilions. It was really kind of cool. And thousands would go to the World Fair. Um, and it was filled with wonderful pavilions filled with all sorts of exhibits. It was just great. Well, the old world's fair in New York is a flat land with nothing on it, but there's this giant globe, big metal globe in the center. And then it's just barren, it's empty. I'm not sure what it is today, but that's what it was back then. And I remember taking the train in the winter to the world's fair these lands for whatever reason, and just slowly walking quietly near this globe on this flat land filled with ice, it was windy. And um, something shifted in the aloneness. And I know you've had this experience as well, where the aloneness and the loneliness shifted from that empty feeling to this full feeling. There's something about the steps crunching on the icy grass and the wind blowing on my face, pushing my hat a bit and the air around me and the quiet and the stillness in this empty park that began to feel quite full and sweet, alive, rich, heartfelt, joyful, ecstatic in a way. It's like that empty space became full with presence, beingness, breath, body, sensing, stillness. And the stillness became so sweet, so filled with love. I could feel that love in the heart all throughout the body and the land. And the boundaries kind of left. There was a oneness, just one, with the cold air, with the sky, with the earth, the crunchy snow, the boots. And that stillness became exquisite 
and radiant and full. Almost that complete opposite of empty alone. And so the suggestion here is that um, when we can discover the aloneness as a gateway or a doorway to a different kind of intimacy, a different kind of fullness. This can lead to a deeper understanding of aloneness that is necessary for meditation practice and sitting on the cushion. It's an intimacy with life, with being, with self, with experience. And when we, when we face that aloneness and turn towards it and embrace it, it can open into stillness, silence, peace, gratitude, love, the heart can fill. So by facing the hindrance, the rejecting and the pushing away or the anxiety and the fear, the not wanting, I don't want to sit here alone with my eyes closed, just being with myself. And we look deeper, we look closer, we stop resisting it there's a doorway to a greater closeness than we realize. And we develop this internal intimacy that is not dependent on external relationships. That's a pretty powerful thing to experience in one's life where we discover it's not so much out there that there's a lot of joy and fulfillment in here. And that actually, paradoxically, gives us um, a greater freedom and spaciousness in our relationships. We're less needing them and wanting them. And we're more inclined just to be with others from already from a state of fullness. So we learn that intimacy, closeness, fullness and being is not dependent on our pets. It's not dependent on people, places, things, objects outside of us. These are add-ons. The fullness can be found in the emptiness, in the aloneness and the simplicity of being. And meditation forces us to turn towards it. And if we understand and see this resistance more clearly, the history we have with it, we're going to be more willing to surrender into it and allow ourselves to be with it, to allow the heart to sink into the sweetness and stillness and not search out the objects that fill the mind so much. And we're learning in meditation, to be empty is to be full. 
So just taking a moment on this beautiful Mother's Day, our beautiful time together in community. The ways in which we practice this very difficult turn, this difficult turn to emptying the heart, the mind, the body, to letting go of all the distraction, the busyness, the desire, the needs, the wants. And sometimes we just follow the breath simply, sit through it all, embracing whatever gets in the way to see the way, this way of stillness, of emptiness, quiet and peace. And um, taking a couple of breaths here. I think it's good for us who are remaining, not too many, but if you would like to go into the breakout room. And I will say Casey and I will be teaching a class on some of this on Thursdays at the end of the month. Um, we go into the breakout rooms and you're welcome to stay in the main room. I think Don can tell us that if you don't feel like going into breakout room, but the question would be, um, how does aloneness or loneliness impact you? How does it impact you? And has it been a barrier? to your practice or whatever else you want to talk about on Mother's Day. You may want to talk about Mother's Day. I love that magical moment when everybody appears. <laughs> it's like Zoom magic. <laughs> I think the inner child is like, oh, they're back. <laughs> so would anybody like to share or are there any questions? It's a deep, complicated topic as it is, as it is. I wanted to ask you about, you know, when you were talking towards the end about the um, sort of embracing the loneliness and such, I mean, I was thinking, I guess, I don't know if it's a question, but I was just thinking about the different uh, mindful self-compassion strategies and such. This, did you want to, do you want to talk about that for a minute or when you're- Well, yeah, I think it's very good that you brought it up. I think as particularly in the pandemic times, we need to bring up or call up, it helps to call up compassion when we are feeling alone or lonely. Um, and I think about how some of us have been in the pandemic with people in our home and some without people in our home. And it's not easy to be in a pandemic and live alone, this I know right? This is particularly hard. Um, it's also hard to be in a pandemic and have little ones and not have support or help. 
you know, there's a lot of ways we have more suffering at this time. And so it's good to practice, as you mentioned, Rick, to call up compassion for just this kind of suffering and to give ourselves what we need, whether it's kindness or peace or loving kindness or um, making contact with people. I know through the pandemic, there's been a point where I've, through the worst of it, right? I've had to call somebody up and say, let's go for a walk. We'll wear masks and we'll social distance, but I need to see a person in front of me, you know, and not a Zoom screen, right? It's like giving ourselves what we need with kindness. Yeah. And that's another way of embracing the aloneness and the loneliness and not running from it, but sitting with it with care and compassion, with kindness. Oh, it's sort of interesting how uh, the feeling of loneliness is both a barrier to sitting down and focusing on meditation, but it's also meditation is a cure to loneliness because you end up, if you do sit down, you're with yourself. And so we're often thinking our mind, the monkey mind through life. We're never, you know, intimate with ourselves. And that intimacy with oneself, whatever that happens to be, is that if you start becoming curious, you know, because what keeps me from meditating is I'm usually curious about something else in the world, but I don't, that's why I don't want to meditate. But when you start being curious about yourself and looking that inward look uh, without anything else, it seems like it's a cure because once you get into that mode of self-reflection, you don't really have any space for the loneliness. Thank you, well said. <laughs> Not always easy, but well said. Uh -huh. Anyone else like to share or ask a question? I just want to thank you. I, I felt like um, your talk was really beautiful and um, very timely for me um, because, as I've said in the past few times, I'm struggling with to maintain my practice. And I feel like the only way I can, you know, the only way meditation is really feeding me now is when I come on Sundays. It feels, you know, it feels restorative. It feels, productive it feels like a good use of my time and um so for the invitation to look a little bit deeper at the hindrances and why they arise um felt very timely and um worthy of my contemplation so thank you very much yeah thank you wendy for that talk oh wonderful uh yeah i think uh, Saying like we come to the world, I was thinking alone, and then we die alone also. And then in the middle of it, it's just uh, hard. I mean, we, 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 outside from the intimacy with ourselves that we're trying to understand ourselves, we cannot really uh, be fully with others. As you were saying in the parties you go in, I mean, people full of a room full of people, but you know you're alone. And in this time between coming and going into this life, we're alone most of the time. Uh, so, uh, but I cherish those moments that I can be intimate uh, 
you know, during the pandemic, I've been living at home by myself also, which has a different dimension to it. But I've been able to just be content with the, looking at the flower, cooking, been very uh, enjoying that, or just sitting in these Zooms calls in the evenings, as you were saying, it's been like really wonderful support. And I didn't think the Zoom had any energy at the beginning to feel or uh, something, somebody across this iPad on, uh, or, or computer onto the other side, but there is some connection that goes in. I understand when you were saying I have to see a person, but then uh, has a little different dimension, but this, I think it has exceeded my expectations as far as connecting with people, even on the screen. So those are the things, thank you. What just came up is that, uh, I, a couple of weeks ago, I was out teaching practicing Tai Chi and Qigong and I was in a park and it was just so much easier to be aware um, and through that it feels like being being kind of housebound for all this time has been uh, really difficult it's made mindful awareness practice really challenging you know to sit for any length of time just because I'm always around things to do um, no matter if I'm outside or inside in, in my living space it's like there's always so much to do and it's hard to stay focused on anything true all right one last comment and we will close it out all right so we'll end i'll read trudy's words again i think they were very beautiful as part of our meta And um, don't forget our sits, 7 a.m., 7 p.m., Saturday. You're all welcome to join. Uh, and the class coming up. So this is from Trudy Goodman, uh, our founding mother of Inside LA, sending Meta to her today. On this Mother's Day, may you and I celebrate the dedication and love of mothers in all forms. May all moms who are facing hardship, struggling financially, incarcerated, detained, or serving on the front lines, find some rest, solace, and practical support. May each of us in our own way honor the life-giving power courage, and spirit of mothers everywhere. And may all beings be safe and free of harm. May all beings be healthy in body and in mind. And may all beings be peaceful, at ease, and free of suffering. May all beings be free of suffering. Have a great day, everyone. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.